0: you're
1: listening to the cxmh podcast cxmh is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health
0: Welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Bohr. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today?
2: Hey Robert. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing pretty well. I, you know what? It is not super hot for like the first time. Oh my gosh, and I know. I am so excited about it.
2: Yeah, me too. I know. Texas finally is getting a little bit of a break from the heat, and it's it's like, yeah, it's the shift is quick. <laughs> I feel like when it happens, yeah. but yeah, but it definitely feels like fall is here finally. yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll see if it, if it sticks around. I know. It always, at least here in Georgia, it like pretends to be fall for a week and then goes back, which it's already done a couple of times. But
2: mm-hmm. I'm
0: hopeful that here in like the second half of October, maybe, it, maybe it's actually just fall.
2: Yeah, maybe that would be nice.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see.
2: Yeah. So what have y'all been up to this last week?
0: Yeah. I always – you know what's funny? I always write as we're like starting to record this. I open my Google Calendar and I scroll back, you know, to see what exciting things did we do. And Uh I don't think that has ever once really worked
2: in terms of seeing
0: something that seemed like (laughs) exciting to discuss. Mm. I do it anyway, so why not?
2: That's fine. Yeah, but
0: actually, in this this last week, so we're recording this the week before it comes out. I'm sure people by now are saying, "We know, we get it." But <laughs> uh, this this week, I got to meet some Twitter friends in person, which is awesome. That's always fun.
2: Oh, uh, fun! Um, so
0: yeah, that's always you know turning online friends into real friends. Not not real, because I think those relationships obviously matter. But right, right, right. You know, getting to see people kind of face-to-face is is definitely fun. So got to have lunch with a couple people the other day. So fun.
2: That's awesome. I love that. That is so cool. Yeah. That's neat.
0: Which I know this – Episode isn't about technology. We have another one. We have one coming up that right? talks yeah. some about that. But I I have thought a lot recently about kind of the, re- the relationships that we make online. And, you know, some people say like, well, those aren't real friendships or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think undoubtedly they are. I mean, yeah. you and I, I was, met online. That's and, right.
2: Know, I was just going to say. Yeah.
0: yeah. So there's any number of people that I think if you kind of put that intention in and, and things like that, I mean, there's any number of people that I would count among, you know, my closest twenty friends or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not that I have lists like that. That'd be weird. <laughs> but who you know, my my interactions are almost exclusively through online things. And mm-hmm. so, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. I love that. Well, I'm really glad yeah. I mean, I know I've had similar experiences. It's just nice when you get to connect with people who you've met through online spaces in real life and then um, and then even just finding like ways that folks who you may know in real life connect you to other people in the online spaces. Like, yeah, you and I we connected online, but also Jonathan Singer was a big part of that too.
0: Right. And who I've also never met in person.
2: Yeah, and I'm actually going to get to see him next week. I'm super excited to get to see oh, him. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get. I'll get to see him at the Council on Social Work Education's conference. So so that'll be yeah. fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What have you been doing the last week that's fun and exciting?
2: Yeah. Well, um, so I don't have my calendar pulled up because I'm a little – if I pull up my calendar, I <laughs> start feeling my heart being like – so I'm intentionally keeping it closed. Um, yeah. But the last week, I do – I will say it's been a great week. We had um, – Baylor had uh, hosted Chris Hewart's came to campus to uh, provide a couple of Enneagram trainings on um, yeah. last Sunday and Monday night. And, um, and he, he did chapel, uh, you know, he, he spoke in chapel for our freshmen, which was really neat to get to go to and hear him speak. And, um, and interestingly for the chapel talk, he didn't talk about the Enneagram, but he focused on, you know, silence, stillness and solitude. And it was, it was really good. So and it, it mm. was just good to get to see him again after, you know, getting to go on a couple of gravity's retreats last year. And, um, so yeah, so that was really fun to get to see him. Um, and then I will say I'm really, he, he kind of dropped a few little teasers about his upcoming book that he's writing and I'm sure more information, like he'll, he'll obviously post about that, but like, I'm just really excited for some of the some of the innovative ideas around the Enneagram that he's going to be bringing, I think in this new book. So I'm really excited Hmm. about that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so we have that this week and then I'm actually, you know, we're recording this a a day earlier. Well, or maybe not actually. No, this is normally when we do it, but I am, (laughs) I am going out of town. Sometimes we
0: do them on Fridays. Yeah,
2: sometimes. Yeah. But I'm actually getting ready to go out of town tomorrow for a writing retreat with some of my colleagues um, yeah. which is, we have this, uh, one or two times a year at like just a retreat center so that we can practice some of that silent still stillness and solitude and spiritual refle- reflection, but also being able to just focus on writing some of our research or, you know, grants that we're working on, but just to have some of that quiet space to, to focus and then to you know, engage in some fellowship with folks across the university. It's really mm. nice. So, um, yeah. So I'm excited about that too. But yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'll be
0: excited to hear about it when we talk next week.
2: Yeah. It'll be good. Yeah. So I guess a nice little segue into this week's conversation, just talking about research and just writing in general. I don't know actually if writing is the best segue into this, but, um, but well, uh, hey. <laughs>
0: My, se- my segue last week was uh, sketchy at best. Well, so that's fine. Y-
2: y'all, we try each week. We really do try. But I.
0: To be honest, I don't <laughs> know that I have ever thought about like a smooth segue until last week, just because we were talking about it, you know, anyway. Mm. But I think usually we just are chatting and then say, well, let's talk about this week's whatever. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's uh, in the cards. Maybe that's a skill that we can try and uh, cultivate. How do we get better at smooth segues? Yeah, I
2: love that. Well, we can we can get some input from our listeners on that. If you guys want to y'all <laughs> want to help us come up with some segue ideas. Maybe we'll try practicing those. But anyways, yeah. um <laughs> so this week Yes, this well, <laughs> this is the smoothest segue go. that we've ever yeah. had. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> So this week, we have um, Dave Eckert, who is coming onto the show. He um, is the director of this organization called Intersect. It's an initiative that's offered uh, by Access Services in Pennsylvania, which is really focused on connecting human service providers and faith communities to, to work together well. Dave and I met over the summer, as I've mentioned about a couple of our other Guess who we've had on the show this fall? Dave and I met at the SAMHSA and the Center for Faith and Opportunities Initiatives, we met at that meeting over the summer. And I just, I loved, I mean, really, y'all, I loved like how practical he was in talking about like, how do we build these bridges between faith communities and mental health professions? And his background, he does have, I think his bachelor's is in social work, and then he has his MDiv. And he really does a beautiful job of, of creating these bridges and Trying to find connections between these various organizations and what they're able to provide and identifying these assets that are available to help communities overall, particularly around mental health and human services, et cetera, and and faith communities. So I, and he's such a great guy too. Like, I think, I hope y'all pick up on that in this episode. He's so, he's so humble and kind and he's so, uh, he's so wise and approachable in his answers. But yeah, I, I loved this chat with him. I'm really glad we had him on the show, but, but what about you? I don't know. You have any reactions or takeaways to share?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, what's interesting is I always love when people come on who, uh, can kind of put some tangible ideas around like, how do we bridge these two things that we talk about Mm -hmm. on the show, right? Like how do we bridge, like people who are working in mental health world, right. And faith leaders and faith communities. And, and how do, how do we bridge that other than just saying, well, like, Hey, you know, everyone should learn about each other, which is like a big thing. And he, he breaks down these, like six kind of specific types of people that he thinks hey these are these are people that are really good resources to look for in terms of helping bridge these gaps and it's not you know it's not just oh counselors should reach out more to faith communities or like well people who are faith leaders should reach out more it's like both of those and all these other people. So if you're li- someone listening and you say, "Well, I'm not, you know, formally working in either of those fields, but I'm really passionate about helping these two worlds get closer mm-hmm. together," which is a lot of people. Yeah. you know, people like that fall into it. People who are willing to share their own experience. So there's, you know, he'll he'll go through all six, yeah. obviously. But I always love it when people can kind of put some some language and some like footholds mm-hmm. in terms of like, here's some practical ideas of, of things that could help and different types of people that maybe we hadn't thought of to to help bridge mm-hmm. that gap. So I, I really loved that. Yeah,
2: I, I agree. And I love how he talks about how it's been working, you know, within his community. And so I think our hope, you know, just as in offering this conversation, especially is just that, you know, those those of you listening can consider, you know, maybe how you could take away some of these pieces for your community. So yeah, I I love this episode. I'm really excited to introduce y'all to Dave Eckert. Good segue. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today we have Dave Eckert, who is the director of Intersect. It's an initiative offered by Access Services in Pennsylvania to train, consult, and collaborate with human service providers and faith communities. Dave has his MDiv, he's a certified psychiatric rehabilitation practitioner, and he has spent 17 years working for access services within various roles that support uh, those standing at the intersection of faith and mental health. In addition, Dave has served as the associate pastor of Grace Community Church in Chalfont, uh, Pennsylvania for the last 12 years, and he currently serves on the board of Pennsylvania Association of Psychiatric Re- Rehabilitation Services and the Lakeside Educational Network. Um, and he lives with his wife and three children in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Dave, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Really glad to yeah. be on with you guys.
2: Absolutely. We are so, so glad you are here. Before we dive into today's chat, is there anything that I missed in your fancy bio there? No, I think you covered it. Awesome. Well, um, just so I can give a little bit of background for our listeners, I have uh, mentioned to them that some of the guests that we have this season are folks that I had connected with at um, the meeting with SAMHSA and the Center for Faith and Opportunities Initiatives. Um, And you are one of those folks that we got to connect um, over the summer on this intersection of faith and mental health. And I'm really glad that our listeners are going to get to hear from you today.
1: Yeah, there were so many interesting people we met at that event. So I'm just as interested in hearing your other interviews as much as I am in being part of this conversation today. So it should be a good season.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. That's so great. Well, before we dive in and talk about Intersect specifically, do you mind kind of telling us a bit um, just about your journey and how you kind of walked into this work overall that you're doing?
1: Yeah, so basically as you mentioned, I've kind of lived my career in two worlds. One in the world of the mental health field, uh, directing a mobile psych rehab program, and the, the other in the world of pastoral ministry. So living in both worlds, you learn a couple things. One is that in the mental health field, a lot of organizations struggle to know how to pay attention to the spiritual dimension of people that we're serving. Yet in the church, there's a lot of clergy and a lot of just church members who are struggling to know how do I walk with people who are experiencing mental health struggles. So living in both of those worlds led us to say, let's start a new initiative, thus we call Intersect, where we're really supporting people at the intersection of faith and mental health, which means sometimes we're supporting you know, human service providers to know how to look at people holistically and support them in each of the dimensions of need And sometimes it means doing training and consultation for churches and faith communities, equipping them to know how do we minister to people with mental illness, both in our congregations, but also in our wider community. So that's kind of the trajectory of how we came to be what we are now.
0: Yeah, that's so good, and I have a feeling there's a lot of people listening that relate to a lot of what you just said, and even obviously Holly and myself relate a lot to that, right? Being at kind of this intersection. My background is mm-hmm. in campus ministry and doing work with things like that before transitioning into being a, a full time counselor, and so I definitely that was the heartbeat of the show when we started. It was okay. How do we kind of bridge these two areas that seem maybe to to misunderstand each other or not yeah. be sure you know what to do? So. I wasn't obviously at the meeting that you and Holly met at and don't have a ton of background. Holly filled me in some, but can you tell us some about the intersect and and what that is? Yeah, uh, and what was
1: nice about my own story and that I maybe didn't anticipate in years prior was that God had me in these worlds, building relationships, learning things over time that then I was able to use later on. So, for example, when I'm in the mental health field, because I've been around there for a while, I have enough credibility as just a service provider that when I talk about how faith and mental health come together and faith as a resource for recovery, my motives aren't being put into question that I'm just coming here as Pastor Dave or Missionary Dave, but they understand I'm looking at this through the lens of just doing good social work doing good mental health care. And when I'm speaking to churches, they don't just think I'm a bleeding heart social worker. They think and understand this is just part of good ministry, paying attention to the whole person and saying, Mm -hmm. how can, in a Christian context, someone be a disciple of Jesus and pay attention to what that discipleship looks like in all of their life, including their mental health. So those years of working on the ground in these two different worlds, I think prepared me to be what you might call bilingual in that I can speak both languages and frame it in ways that make sense to those populations and have the trust because of my time there. So I'm really appreciative for those years on the ground because I think it prepared me for the sort of conversations we're having now.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So as you've gone into these communities or into these, these two spaces and trying to bridge them, um, can you talk a little bit about like how, like the, the role specifically that you've seen intersect kind of filling in the community?
1: Sure. There's a few different ways. One of them has been sometimes I'm just providing training to clinicians like this next, this coming Monday, I'm speaking at a therapeutic school, an alternative school to clinicians about spiritual tools and resources for practitioners. So what are those tools and resources that come from a spiritual dimension that can be used in their clinical work? Uh, Conversely, tomorrow night I have a training to a number of faith-based counselors on a biblical view of mental health. And we're looking at different myths that we see within the church, but also at times in the mental health field, and how scripture helps us to combat those myths. So from a training angle, sometimes I'm in both of those worlds providing training to hopefully help each side become more holistic. Uh, Other times, it looks like me being in the mental health world and at different meetings of providers and organizational uh, leadership bringing in faith leaders for forums where faith leaders can talk to local human service providers and explore how collaboration can look. So Intersect is able to be a catalyst for those sort of conversations that often aren't happening. I remember one time mm-hmm. we hosted one of those conversations and one of the pastors said to this group, I didn't know any of you guys existed.
2: Oh my and then A
1: the drug and alcohol provider comes up to me afterwards and he says, I've never been part of a conversation like this with faith communities. So both sides are kind of siloed, not speaking to each other, and what we're trying to do through Intersect is to bring those worlds together because I think they can both work together for their common good and both strengthen each other to actually do their respective missions more effectively.
2: My gosh, I love that. And that's, and I think your story there, just on how these two spaces are just like, we didn't know you existed, or we didn't know how to work with you, or, you know, how to best connect. I think that that's something that I I don't think that y'all are alone in that. I think that that's probably pretty normal across a lot of communities. So one of the things that I really loved about, you know, your presentation when I got to hear you speak over the summer was you talked about this very strength-based pr- approach that Intersect has, particularly around identifying these six key assets that were identified in the community to really be leveraged towards solutions. So do you mind walking us through these assets and like how you identified um, each of them?
1: Sure. So the first one maybe we can talk about is clinicians that clergy can trust. In my conversations with different pastors and different faith leaders, one of the things I heard repeatedly was almost a similar phrase, which was, we don't really make referrals to human service providers because we don't know who we can trust. Because there was a sense, whether earned or unearned, that many human service providers don't respect the faith or the faith traditions Mm. of people in my faith community. And therefore I don't trust them to be able to provide adequate care for people in my congregation. So Mm. in that, what we're trying to do is be a provider that, you know, clergy can trust by being able to reach to us, but also train and equip clinicians to be the kind of clinicians clergy can trust because those clinicians are now better able to understand just how much of a benefit faith communities or how much benefit someone's own faith and spirituality can be to their wellness and to their recovery. So one of the assets that I think can really be leveraged is saying, how can we both you know, train these clinicians, but also identify what clinicians are out there that actually are already hungry to be able to collaborate with faith communities, but just didn't know they had the permission to do that oh. because of either the air they breathe or, or because, as some have told me, they were literally told that by their supervisors, that, you know, separation of church and state means this isn't really an area you should be paying attention to. I mean, I've had clinicians call me up and say, either I don't know if I'm supposed to be calling you, or clinicians call me up and say, Hey, this person mentioned God, mentioned faith, and I don't know anything about that. So I'm reaching out to you for help. So, one of the things that's just I think is important is that in our communities, we're really locating those clinicians that can work well with clergy, can work well with faith communities for the sake of people we serve. Mm, that's good. So, that's kind of a first asset. I can yeah. continue going
2: yeah, no, for yeah, for sure.
1: So a second asset, I think, is what we might call connectors, which are people who know both worlds, because there are some people who know the world of faith communities. and you know, there's plenty of faith-based counseling resources, for example. There's some people who know the world of human service providers because they've lived in that space. What we need more of, I think, are connectors, people who can live in both of those worlds and can do the work of bringing people together. Uh, For example, in my own neck of the woods, we have organizations that anybody in the community can call and say, hey, I don't know what services there are around abuse. I don't know what services there are for mental health. I don't know what services there are for children and youth. Like, could you tell me? And they can call these people up. But we don't have as many people in those spaces who, when you call, say, oh, I know all our faith-based resources, or I know the faith communities that are doing really good work here. Mm -hmm. So I think having connectors who can be that bridge And have that as actually part of our public mental health system, I think can really be helpful. And those connectors are out there. There's people who know both of those worlds, but really aren't in strategic places to bring both of those worlds together. So I think that's just another asset that we have that we could leverage more than we do.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Where where are Mm y'all seeing these connectors located in your area?
1: So one of the places we first look is... Looking in the mental health field for people who are already people of faith who didn't know that their faith and their knowledge of faith communities could actually be a resource for the people they serve. They were taught or implicitly concluded that all that knowledge was just a whole other world of life to them. Um, so being able to say, who are those people by either looking in our human service organizations who know both worlds or even going into our faith communities and saying, Who here in our congregation actually works in the mental health field, for example, who doesn't know that when they come to church on a Sunday, that their knowledge, that their therapeutic experience, their clinical knowledge could actually be assets for their church, for their faith community. So I think once we as either clergy or as leaders in our mental health systems begin letting our people know that that sort of diverse knowledge can actually be helpful to each of those spaces, then people start coming out of the woodwork saying, well, oh, I would love to do that. I would love to help my church with that. Or, oh, I would love to help my organization know more about faith communities that are out there. So in some ways, we don't even have to post these positions out there for people we don't know about. Those people are living right next to us that haven't been given permission to use that knowledge if that makes any sense
2: yeah absolutely
0: Hmm. yeah that's so good i was you know people i do a lot of trainings for churches and things like that and people always say okay what 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 can we do to be better about these things or and i try to think of really practical ones like googling counselors and taking them to coffee but i have to admit as you're talking about that i thought i don't think i've ever said hey just put in your bulletin hey does anyone that attends here who's a mental health professional, send me an email and, or anything mm. like that. Like I've never even thought of that, even though that seems so obvious. And that's like the, the intersection mm-hmm. that I work at mainly. Uh, so It was interesting. I spoke a, a recently
1: point. on a Sunday morning to a class at a church about, we had one week on a biblical view of mental illness. Another week was on supporting people in your congregation and community with mental health struggles. And it was interesting to hear multiple people from in the church come up to me afterwards and say, oh, I'm a counselor. Oh, I work in the field of drug and alcohol. Like they were so happy to be thinking about these issues in their church context because they had all this knowledge, but they just weren't used to it being discussed in that space. And it almost helped them in, in a way to see a to have a wider sense of their own calling and to see that this knowledge base they have could be part of how they think of what God is calling them to in ministry. So it's it's always encouraging to see people like that come up
0: to me after trainings in churches.
2: That's awesome. I like that. That's good.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in the next one, the next asset here, because I think it. I don't know if it played into Holly, but we had a conversation recently where I think we used almost some of this exact language, and I'm curious if it came from mm, your presentation I don't on think her side.
2: So, because I think I don't know. Well,
1: let's see. Let's uh, let <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On the same page, uh, this is clinicians that can translate. Is that what we're talking about here?
2: Yep, that's
1: right. So part of what yeah, yep. I think could be really beneficial for both sides is, I think I mentioned this earlier, is people who can be bilingual or people who can be multilingual, can know the world of language in faith communities and the world of language. Um, in mental health uh, services. For example, sometimes things get lost in translation. Where I was just talking to someone this morning from within the Catholic tradition about this that, you know, there might be a mental health provider that says, I really want to be about um, community integration. Can your, ch- can your church help with this? And you might have people from in that church kind of confused by what they're talking about until a clinician that can translate says we really want to help this person get connected to a church and experience fellowship Hmm. and then all of a sudden that goes oh yeah we would love to do that or if a person who's a clinician says hey we really want to give people the opportunity to serve that might sound a little bit different than if you say to a person in a church hey we really have ministry options that we'd love to see people from your church getting involved in or it might be you know saying if you are in a mental health field and your immediate thought is to talk about being holistic, uh, that's a term that many people in faith communities can understand, but sometimes saying, Hey, we want to be about word and deed. Uh, The, The idea is there's language that is oftentimes just inaccessible in each of those worlds. But when you can be a clinician that can translate those terms there might be more opportunities for collaboration than we even realize. We're just talking different languages to each other. But actually there is, we can both be about the common good in our respective missions of our organizations if we can just speak to each other in ways that the other can understand. So I'm not sure if that's what you guys have been talking about before, but that's some of the thinking behind the asset of missions that can translate.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, it's very similar. Like yeah. we, yeah, we've, Robert and I have just had some conversations around, you know, silos and just how we kind of stay in our silos and, and just ways to be able to translate language so that it's like, no, we're, we're kind of working and talking about the same thing. We're wanting to move towards the same thing, but sometimes we get stuck in our, our own little um, ways of thinking or our, our, our languages and, and they can cause us to stumble in moving forward. So, Uh, Which sounds just like what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and I would say this doesn't just, I mean, right now we're talking about, in a sense, things clinicians can do. However, I, I call churches to the same thing in wanting to say, if you really are about reaching your culture, if you really are about being Jesus to people who are in all facets of life, who are struggling in a variety of ways, then you can't just speak church. You might need to think about how to speak in ways that make sense to people that, you know, as we say in the social work profession, meet people where they're at. So I think this is on a both side thing. This isn't just something that we're calling for clinicians to do. I would love to see more people in faith communities doing the same thing. So it can be really helpful to building collaboration from the other side as well.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I think that's super important in thinking about both sides and how we both work together and in our yeah spaces to to help our communities overall. That's really good.
1: So the next area, um, the next asset to be leveraged, so to speak, is the training of clinicians. And I'll just maybe say a couple things about this. One is, I think it's really helpful to show clinicians how. Whatever their respective values or principles are that undergird their particular field, like for me, it's been the area of psychiatric rehabilitation, to be able to show how those values and principles actually fit smoothly with um, identifying areas of faith and spirituality as resources can be really helpful in moving people towards doing this work. Because some, whenever we do these trainings for clinicians around how to assess, support people's spiritual needs, how to connect people to faith-based resources and faith communities, there is a sense sometimes or a suspicion uh, of, is this really what I should be about? So we always start with training them by saying, here are the different values and principles that undergird your particular profession. And here's where so many of them are clearly connected to this area of spirituality and faith. When we use terms like being holistic, when we talk about being strengths based, when we talk about community integration, when we talk about natural supports, uh, we talk about hope or empowerment or, you know, all of those things, they are just. Clearly, opportunities to say, Well, how does a person whom you're trying to come alongside, how does their faith and their spirituality actually fit with each of those different areas that are part of your own principles? So, that's just the first thing I wanted to point out in the Trinity of Clinicians is just trying to get at some of those pieces. Um, Yeah. So, we we can go further into this, but I just want to kind of point that out. Yeah.
2: Well, I think, I mean, you know, this is like the stuff I geek out about, thinking about. Like training clinicians and having them see how this dovetails so well with how they serve others and so now, I love that, but I wanna hear what your other little piece to this yeah. is, too, I yeah, think,
1: well, I think it's also worth pointing out some of the different things that are barriers to this, yeah that that people carry around with them that I don't think are are insurmountable, maybe a couple of examples. Some people believe that we shouldn't go here because of a fear of proselyzing. Um, that, if, that if I talk to someone I serve about their spirituality or about faith, all this is, is it's going to be a, a space for me to use power to try to convert this person or force this person to, to do what, to believe what I believe, And I think just a few things to consider for this, that you can have conversation with someone without it leading to required conversion. You know, there's so many areas of life where we can just talk about something. It doesn't need to be the same thing as me saying, I'm forcing you to believe. And we can also say, I think a phrase that's been helpful for me in different spaces is respect is different than agreement. That We don't have to agree on everything, but we can respect one another, which means we can go into some of these spaces that we might be afraid to go into because what are you supposed to never talk about in polite company? Religion and politics. So it leads people to think, well, we shouldn't go into these spaces because It could make the person feel awkward or we feel awkward. But in some ways, that's just because we haven't learned the skill of being able to show respect without agreement. We haven't learned the skill of being able to have a conversation with someone without us compelling them to convert to what we think. And in some ways, I think this is just a sign of some of our broader culture where it's so hard to have kind of C-SPAN conversations in the world of Fox News and CNN. It's really hard to have just like normal conversations mm-hmm. <laughs> with people about hard topics without a, there being a lot of more heat than light yeah. in the room. But I think you can equip cl- clinicians to know how to talk to people about these issues, not because we're trying to get them to think what we think, but because these really are real resources for them. I mean, I know you guys have talked on your own, podcast before about how often it is that people in a mental health crisis go to clergy yeah. and go to faith communities. Yeah. If that's the case, then bringing up faith, bringing up faith communities isn't a power play. It's just something that makes sense to do from a public health or a community mental health perspective.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Yeah, we absolutely have had conversations about that on this show. And, and I agree with you. You know as for for me from that research lens, if we know that integrating clients faith into mental health treatment actually impacts outcomes and that clients prefer yeah. for the therapist to be thinking about this then we absolutely need to be doing what you mentioned here around kind of bolstering that training for clinicians so yeah
1: I want to thank you Molly one of the things after we met um, I just looked through some of your research and I oh gosh sent it out. <laughs> We have an e-letter, and I send it out to people because we have, just like your audience for this podcast, we have on our monthly e-letter, we have people from faith communities, but also people from within the mental health field reading. And we were just trying to say, let's recognize the research. We're not asking you to believe anything. We're not asking you to change your worldview. What we're asking you to do is simply recognize the research as clinicians. And the research compels us to move towards Looking at people in this holistic way, so thank you for uh, hopefully making an impact in our oh,
2: Philadelphia area well, here. Thank you for sharing the research, but also I know you you sent it to me that you had shared the podcast too. So you know, to our Philadelphia listeners, we would say hello yeah. and um, no, thank you for yeah. for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I think that moves us right into the next asset that, I mean, it kind of dovetails nicely with what you had just talked about. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Sure. Well, yeah, this is cultural competence towards people of faith. This is another asset, I think, to be leveraged. What I'm trying to get at here, closely connected, as you said, to, the, to this training of clinicians piece and this values and principles piece, is that we are called as social workers mental health professionals to cultural competence, to being able to say whenever we're coming up against any sort of diversity, to really be competent in knowing how do I come alongside people who are are different than me. And I think where this hasn't always been applied as well is being culturally competent towards people of faith, towards people in faith communities. And sometimes clinicians, when someone brings up God or faith, because they may themselves not have that own faith orientation, they may just be prone to just kind of leave it be to not go there, instead of saying, no, what does it mean for me to actually understand this person within their worldview? That's especially hard if a clinician actually disagrees with or struggles with that worldview of a particular person they're serving. An example of this was I was once convening a group of faith leaders with a uh, as a panel with a group of mental health professionals, different than the one I mentioned earlier. And one of the pastors spoke to this group and he said, first of all, I want to confess that our church and many churches have really done a poor job at dealing with stigma towards people with oh. mental health experiences. And I just want to confess that and say, I want to do better. But then he went on to say, but i also think that probably when i came into this room and told you i'm a christian pastor that some people in this room immediately thought something about me because i'm a member of the clergy and my hope is that we would be able to defeat stigma on all sides mm. and i think what i loved about that pastors the, the way he carried himself there was that he started with humility and named the fact that our churches have to do better when it comes to stigma and and not responding to it well. But he also named a reality, which is for some clinicians, and I can say this because, again, I've been in the mental health field for a while. For some clinicians, there is some stigma towards people of faith, and it shows up sometimes in not giving adequate attention to how their faith, how their spirituality can be a resource for them. So I think cultural competence towards people of faith is, to me, a way of taking this principle of social work and applying it to working with people of faith.
2: Yeah, I agreed, I mm. love that.
0: That's so good. And then I love I love this last one because I think sometimes in these conversations we miss this last chunk, but I think it's, I love that you included it there. So can you tell us about, I guess, yes. the, the um, In terms one of here? those
1: with experience, there's a few different ways this looks. And we talked a little bit about it earlier where we said, who were the people in our churches? who are the people, um, you know, people in our churches who are professionals, and who are the people in our um, mental health services who are people of faith. And that's certainly one place that I'm saying, where are the people with experience, assets that we can leverage? But I also want to say there are people with a lived experience who it's not just a role for them. It's not just part of their professional identity. It's actually people who, are passionate about this because they're an experience either in their own lives or with the lives of a loved one. So some of the people in our Intersect Initiative who we've partnered with the most have been pastors who have either themselves struggled in their mental health or have had family members. I know one pastor whose son, uh, this has really been part of his journey, and this pastor does such a good job. He's really a leader in our area of his church being active, around partnering with mental health services, active in having people in his own church tell their own recovery stories. So that's an example. Who are faith leaders that have a lived experience? Um, And also, who are really system leaders? You know, one of the things that's been exciting for me is even to talk with people in our systems who know the world of faith, know the world of faith communities, and yet are people who have leadership and influence in systems and who actually care about this work and who can be catalysts for doing it more. So um, not to mention, by the way, I should say, I probably should have said this first, is probably the group that has been most, has most jumped on board with what we're doing are people who are those with a lived experience of mental illness, who are in our who provide peer support uh, in our system, and who say we've been waiting for a long time for yeah. people to connect all of life mm. with our mental health, and not just see it as a few different symptoms, not just see it through the, the lens of a medical model, but see it as part of an entire life lived. So I would say that's the group who never really needed much convincing when we talked about the integration of yeah. faith and mental health. They were on reward from the beginning right, right. and started inviting us, hey, could you come and speak at my church? Hey, could I get some people? Could you meet with this person in my church who's, you know, dealing with this or that right now? So those are, those are all ways in which we, again, don't need to go too far to look for people who are already willing and able to be part of this sort of movement.
2: That's awesome. I love that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
0: It's so, good. so let me ask you this. If I'm listening and I'm, you know, a faith leader or a, a mental health care professional or an individual or, or whatever it is, right, and I say, okay, these six things sound pretty good, right? Clinicians that clergy can trust, connectors, clinicians that can translate, training of clinicians, cultural competence towards people of faith and those with experience. What does it look like then kind of the practicality, right? I say, okay, I agree, what does it look like i guess from your side right when you mobilized these assets to uh, support this intersection of human services providers and faith communities i mean like what did that look like for you and you know maybe drawing on that any way that you would recommend to other people okay what do we do with yeah, I if think i can there's find a these
1: couple six different steps? ideas to consider and and i'm sure there's more and we're trying to identify more one thing that we're doing right now in our county is some faith leaders came to our health and human services department and said, we would like to have more opportunities to collaborate with human service providers. So just coming up uh, next week in our area, uh, or in a couple weeks, we're going to have this interfaith coalition meeting where we're going to convene together a bunch of faith leaders and a bunch of human service providers and just begin talking together about what could this look like? How could we collaborate more And while I have some opinions as to the best ways to do that and to streamline that, I think any community could reach out, any provider, clinician could reach out to their own counties, their own regions, Health and Human Services Department, or their Office of Mental Health, and try to make a case based on the principles and the values that undergird our system why we should try to convene together people from the faith community and people from different mental health services and just say what happens when we come together and we start talking and we start um, having focus groups that look at ways we could partner with each other that's one thing a system can do that we see happening out where i am another is if you're part of an organization And you already have a number of different mental health services. Like in my own organization, we have mobile psych rehab, mobile crisis, justice-related services, street homeless outreach. We do all these things. And what Intersect does, by starting up my initiative within that context, Intersect is able to support each of those different programs to have just another layer of support where I can provide chaplaincy support to people in those programs. I can help them get connected to different faith communities in their locations. So I would say, in addition to this big picture, hey, let's look as a county, how we can convene groups together. Any organization can say, are there people with experience? Are there people with skill sets in both the world of faith, the world of mental health, who could help each of our programs? add that element. And from a funding perspective, could even start thinking about in the same way that my program um, has different consultants that we bring in for help, in the same way that my program contracts to to other different professionals to um, complement our work, are there ways that we could bring in someone who has that skill set in both of those worlds who could just support each of those programs. So I would say there's kind of like ground up within your organization ways and there's top-down, big picture within your county ways that you could begin to try to make something like this happen in your region. My experience has been, as I said earlier, there's a lot of people who want to be about this but don't know they're allowed mm. to be about this in, in both those worlds. So I think we need people who have experience in both of those worlds, who can speak the language of both of those worlds, standing up and saying in each of those spaces, what can we do more and why will it help? Not just the people out there, but why can it help our institution, whatever it is, be better at what we want to be good at by adding this piece? And I've seen that be effective.
2: I love that. That's really good. Well, Mm. you have certainly poured in quite a bit of time and effort and energy into this. I know noting that you've been with Access for um, about 17 years. So something I love to ask our guests when they come on the show is knowing that they've they've done so much work in this area that they're so passionate about, what is your hope for this work and, and everything that you're doing with Intersect?
1: Yes, you know, it was funny. I was talking to someone who said, are you hoping that this work you're doing at Intersect is more of a, are you hoping to build a program? Or are you hoping to further a movement? And I kind of said, well, I I guess both, Mm. you know, like we are trying to build up this initiative that we're doing. But at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is further a movement. And what was so encouraging to me is when I met you at that event, Holly, I realized it really is a movement. Mm-hmm. You know, we each have local expression of it, but there really are people across the country who are wanting to bring these two worlds together. I mean, in wow. another event I was in prior to the one we met at, they're convening various faith leaders from across the country who wanted to be more about mental health, just as in our event, it was what mental health professionals want to be more about spirituality and faith within the scope of our work. So I would say in any way we can further that movement where we just see more in in any county in any region see more opportunities for faith communities, faith leaders to be in conversation collaboration with mental health leaders and mental health services that's at the end of the day, to me, the win, because doing that will bring about so many positive outcomes. You've seen it in your research. I've seen it anecdotally. So many outcomes for for both, for each of the, the segments of your listeners, right? For faith communities, it'll make those faith communities stronger and more effective in their region. For mental health providers, it'll help people with discharge and help people they serve to have community and hope and empowerment. And then for people we serve, it will help them both, I think, in their faith uh, to feel more encouraged in it. There are so many people I talk about who've left the church, for example, because of Mm -hmm. ways they were treated Mm -hmm. and ways mental health was dealt with. So I think it'll help them in their own journey of faith and their community of faith, but it'll also help I think them in terms of the services they receive where I've talked to a number of different people with a lived experience who've said I didn't know I could even ask my therapist ask my psychiatrist oh, about how informed this I just didn't think it was the place you talk about such things yeah. so so I think bringing together of these worlds in our systems of care so that those sort of outcomes happen, that to me is sort of the movement we're trying to further in our little neck of the woods out here in the Philadelphia area.
2: Oh my gosh, I love all of that. I mean, you are just preaching to the choir here with with Mm -hmm. every bit of what you're saying. And I'm just really, really, really grateful for your presence and voice and effort in this movement. So thank you. Well, if you,
1: do, do, by the way, Um, I, we almost started a podcast and then we found yours and we thought, I'm not sure it makes sense to do a podcast. If we can just listen to you guys. Oh,
2: that's so funny. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we would love to, I mean, definitely. Well, let's connect and keep chatting about ways that, you know, maybe if we, we can get some, some other guests that you're connected with, we would love to hear that. So, um, I love that. That's awesome. Well, if you would like to connect with Dave, um, we w- are going to include a bunch of information in our show notes tied to Intersect so that you can learn more about Intersect and access services and um, and Dave and the work that he's doing. Um, if you'd like to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert-4.com or on any social media at Robert4. If you'd like to connect with me, um, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. Um, and if you You'd, you know, just feel free to connect with the show um, on any social media at CXMH podcast. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners?
1: Keep listening to this podcast. I will be too. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to be in conversation with you guys. I hope the, the conversation and the relationship continues. I
2: hope so too. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dave. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you.